They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Grant Menzoir. destroyed Placido Domingo and all the good all the good work he's done during COVID. Um, Has he done a lot? I don't know. I've seen him a couple times. More than you. <laughs> Stop well, judging. That's because I'm watching TikTok all day long, <laughs> and I don't see Placido on TikTok. Welcome, everybody. You just saw me missing me do that. What is that move called? What's it called? I don't know. Skirt? When is that? The TikTok move. I don't know. They, where they go, and they grab, and they squeeze like a, a fake lemon. I don't know. Welcome, everybody. You know what? It's your mediocre podcast this week. <laughs> well, sorry for the we guests this week. You know what? I'm so sorry. It is what it is. We give you some information. You take it or you don't. We do it in however long we want to do it. You like that? Give me some topical something to talk about. Some non-topical random banter, Jim. Give me something. We're looking for sponsors. <laughs> Thoughts at Rock supports Cannibal Kids Cancer. Their fight to find treatment options for kids who've been told there are no more options. <laughs> yes. It's the truth. Honestly, they are awesome. I'm talking about CKC. They yes. help identify and fund alternative treatments, and they provide hope to the hopelessness. Honestly, you got to check them out at CannibalKidsCancer.org. But seriously, Agreed. we really are looking for sponsors. <laughs> yes. After you're around. done giving them some money, <laughs> could you throw some G's Throw some ways. cheddar our way That's would be right. great. Yummy. Listen, we know how busy you are. Super busy, Jim. You, you got a lot going on. So much. It doesn't really matter, though, what's happening. We get it. it. You're trying to find something in your life yep. to just make it a little bit better than probably it is. It's a, probably, wee, a wee little bit, Jimmy. It might be mediocre, and you're thinking, how can I, how can I just get better? Mm-hmm. How can I have a better job? How is the question? Maybe a better circle of friends. Maybe maybe a better podcast host. Better partner. Something. <laughs> and if you're Brian Harrison, maybe you're right now mm. flipping off drivers on the way to work. <laughs> maybe you're uh, contemplating ways to mainline Starbucks. Oh, double ma- latte, please. Maybe you're sitting in the dark eating cereal, mm. questioning your career decisions. Lucky charms is my friend. Does it really matter to us? We just want to be the half hour that you've been looking forward to all week. Let's do it. Our guest today 
is a history-making, polar explorer, mountaineer, Hall of Fame, keynote speaker, New York Times bestselling author. I like to call her the queen. The queen. She is amazing. She's a great here. friend of ours. We are talking, of <laughs> course, about the legendary Allison Levine. Allison, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Thank you. My pleasure to be here, you guys. This is so much fun to talk to you, like my dear friends, people I admire in the industry and love so much. So what a treat to be here with you today. Well, this is the first time we've had royalty. We've, this is the first <laughs> Queen Levine we've had on, uh, on the program. We are so excited. Um, we want to direct everyone, of course, to the show notes to get Allison's full bio because it's frigging amazing crazy it's gonna make you feel like a failure so just make sure you have a second to to walk that out (laughs) she has climbed mount everest uh a few times she's climbed the highest peak on every continent skied both the north and south pole only a handful of people have been able to do this uh her book on the edge leadership lessons for mount everest and other extreme environments uh new york times bestseller uh, she spent four years as an adjunct professor at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. You know, Jim, like like, like you do. Yeah, exactly. You like know. we all do. That's right. Like I'm at the community college begging and they're like, where's your master's degree? I'm an adequate. Um She's the founder of the Climb High Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of jobless women in Western Uganda. Um, she, of course, is the number one booked uh, rated speaker at Kepler Speakers since like eternity. Yes. And um, yeah, so she is, she's royalty and we are, we couldn't be happier to have you uh, on the show, Allison. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure, you guys. Well, we're going to jump right to it. You know we like to get to the meat and potatoes. So so the floor is open. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. Okay, my thought that rocks is this, that you do not have to be the best, fastest, strongest climber to get to the top of a mountain, whether that's a literal mountain or a figurative mountain. You just have to be absolutely relentless about putting one foot in front of the other. Okay. Hmm. So give us that. Give us give okay, us more of that. So when I was climbing Mount Everest, I definitely had days where I would set in a lot of self-doubt. I would lose my confidence and I would think to myself, there's no way I can do this. There is no way I can do this. This is the tallest mountain in the world and i'm not going to be fast enough i am not going to be strong enough you know i'm i'm a small person physically i'm you know five foot four and i thought i'm looking at all these people on the mountain all these big guys that are like six foot three 200 pounds and they're they have longer leg span than i do and they can carry more weight than i than i can carry you know without getting completely destroyed because a 40 pound pack on someone that's 110 pounds it's a lot harder for me to carry than someone you know 40 pound pack on someone that's 200 pounds and so i just would get stressed out about that and think i i'm not built for this i can't do this i'm not going to be strong enough or fast enough and then i realized when i got to the top of that mountain that it's not about being strong and fast it's just being it's just about putting one foot in front of the other that is how you get to wherever it is that you want to go you just put one foot in front of the other. And when you think, I can't do this, I can't do this. Yes, you freaking can. <laughs> you can take one more step, right? You can always take one more step. So whenever you feel like quitting, just say, you know what? Before I quit, I'm going to take one more step. Yeah. And you just take one more. And then you go, okay, well, hang on. Then I think I could take one more. 
Okay, well now, hang on, hang on. I, I, I can take one more after that. And then all of a sudden you will find yourself on the top of a mountain. And that's really what happened to me. I thought, I can't, I can't. And I was like, okay, one more, just one more step. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy smokes, here I am. I was like, I can't believe I got here. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It really was just from putting one foot in front of the other. And so when you're overwhelmed, don't worry about, you know, don't, don't worry about getting to your summit. Just worry about putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what will get you there. It's like the heat miser, right? <laughs> one foot in front of the other. Jesus Christ. I, I, you know, oh, we... Uh, <laughs> put one foot in front of the other. Exactly. We're putting that song in the background. I don't know how I just remembered that. You don't need to hear me sing. Oh that needs God. to now be in all of your sessions. That's our new intro to the show. <laughs> it is. Right. Yes. Yeah. We're definitely singing that as your intro. Yes. I, I think, well, first off, we love that that thought. And I, I think, um, you know, Brant and I have been lucky enough to actually see you do this live. And it's interesting, too because I think you you talk quite a bit about this uh, this process of going up the mountain and you know you can tell us a little bit about that story about how you, you can't just go run up the thing and of course if you did try and be the fastest or the strongest you would absolutely fail there has to be a right. process and so you can talk through that but I think in life what you also can learn from that is you just can't wing it but if you just thought small baby steps and it'll lead to something bigger then I think you can attain whatever that summit those dreams are going to be, right? Yeah, I think uh, so. Part of it is like what you mentioned. Um, you know, when you when you climb Everest, you don't just climb from base camp to camp one to camp two and so on. You climb up the mountain part way, then you come back down to base camp. You climb a little bit higher up the mountain, and then you come back down to base camp again. And you have to keep coming back down to base camp because as you get higher on the mountain. Your body is deteriorating. Your muscles are getting weaker. And when you come back down to base camp, that's a lower elevation. So your body can recover at a lower elevation. So you keep going high and then you have to come back down low and you feel like you're not making progress. But what you realize is that even though you're you're not moving toward the summit, you're, you're moving away from the summit back down to base camp, you are indeed making progress because you're building your strength. And yep. sometimes progress doesn't look like progress and sometimes progress doesn't feel like progress but it is still progress and and we tend to think that progress has to happen in one particular direction but that's not the case sometimes you are going to have to go backwards for a little bit in order to eventually get to where you want to be so don't look at at any backtracking you do don't look at that backtracking as losing ground look at it as an opportunity to regroup regain some strength so you can be better out of the gates the next time around. And I think that is definitely progress. Yeah, for me. So, you know, when the first time I saw you sort of do your talk, Allie, it was like, I, I had no idea, first of all, because I am never going to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> and so I had no idea what was involved. And I think like, you know, bro culture is like, dude, I'm going to do all these. I'm going to have like a 12 pack of abs. I'm going to get myself totally jacked. And then I'm just going to walk up to the, to the summit of Mount Everest. <laughs> and you just, you think, you know, if you don't know and you have no idea what's involved, right. you just think I'm going to get as healthy as I can and I'm going to go from point A to point B and that's the quickest direction. And if I'm, if I am as fit as I possibly can be, then I should be able to go from point A to point B in one line and that's it. I finish it. I'm done. But the idea, yeah. the idea that the plan includes you going backwards 
was so such a foreign concept yeah, to me. No doubt. And especially as an overachiever or someone who's super competitive, like you just want to get there first. And it really has nothing to do with any of that. And the plan actually includes one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. And you yeah. just, you don't think of it as, as progress. And so you end up to me, if it were anything else, if you were trying, and this is what I love about how you relate this to the to sort of corporate America, is that if you just looked at it that way in corporate America, you'd think you're failing. But in reality, right. when you plan for this, when you plan to take one step forward and then plan to come back a few steps to reassess and, and look, are we doing this? Do we have to regather? Do we have to change our plans? Do we have to sort of eat some more food, rest a little bit more? What does it need to look like for us to get up a little bit further on that next climb and realize that it's not point A to B, it's point A, B, A, B, A, C, A, D, A, E, A, F. Yes. And it's just this constant back and forth. But if it is the plan, you can still look at it like progress because mm-hmm. you know it's just what comes next, right? Right, right. And, you know, people also, you know, when they feel like if they're not moving in the right direction, that somehow they're failing. And that's just not, that's just not the case. I mean, there's lots of different ways to get to the top of Mount Everest. There's lots of different routes on the mountain, just like there's lots of different paths in life to get to where you want to go, wherever, whatever your goals happen to be. And it's fine to take a different direction. It's, it's fine to hit pause. It's fine to backtrack a bit. Um, There's a lot of different ways to make things happen. And there's no, you know, you should be on your own timeline. And look, when you get to the top of Mount Everest, nobody says like, how fast did you do it? And how many people were behind, you know, were, you ahead of and who was the fastest person that day you just you know it it feels good to achieve a goal right Mm -hmm. it does feel good to achieve a goal and it doesn't matter how long it took you doesn't matter how you know how many people were ahead of you or behind you you do it for you you achieve a goal because you want it because it makes you feel good about yourself and builds confidence and really when you achieve a goal what you should be thinking about in my opinion are the lessons you learn along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you stand on the top of Mount Everest, you're on there on the top of that summit for a few minutes. That's it, a few minutes. You're on the mountain for two months. You're on the summit for That's a few crazy. minutes. So what's what's important are the lessons you learn along the way, right? When you're fighting like hell to get up there, not what you're doing while you're standing up there, because that's a few minutes out of your life. That doesn't define you or standing on top of Mount Everest doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Um, It's the lessons you learn along the way and what you're going to do with that information to be better going forward and what you can do with that information to help other people going forward. What can you share with them so they can be more resilient, right? So they can be, a little more fearless as they're moving forward in their own life's challenges. So I love this. And there's a story that I want, I'm going to ask you to tell, because I think it sort of sums up part of the, of the misconceptions and things. And, and part of honestly, what fuels us at times, but your whole idea of thinking, uh, you know, you're only at the summit for a couple of minutes and it's taken you months to, to get there and the sort of the trials and tribulations you go through, but tell the story of <laughs> when you were sitting at that table after your first attempt at climbing Everest and you were sitting 
sitting at uh, at this table over dinner and and the the total oh yeah the, yeah the total d bag <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 you got to tell that story. Okay, so uh, so w- when I was the team captain for the first American Women's Everest expedition, we did not get to the summit. We missed the summit by less than three hundred feet because a freak storm came in and forced us to turn around and retreat. And we had you know burned through most of our oxygen supply at that point, so we didn't have enough left to try it again. So that was it. You know, we spent two months on the mountain. We didn't make it. Game over. You go home and. Um, you know, getting to within a couple hundred feet of the summit, I kind of felt like I had the whole Everest experience. I didn't feel like I was missing anything by not being on the summit. I didn't think that was going to change my world at all. And so I was at this dinner party and the host of the dinner party was introducing me to the other guests that were there. And he said, oh, this is my friend, Allison. She just climbed Mount Everest. And then the guy sitting across the table from me said, oh, no way. All the way to the top. So then I had to explain, um, well, no, unfortunately, we were forced to turn around just a couple hundred feet from the top in a storm. And he said, oh, wait, so then you didn't climb Mount Everest. I was like, well, wait, hang on, hang on. No, no. Like I told him the whole story. I'm like, look, we were just, you know, we spent two months on the mountain. We just had super lousy luck with the weather. We were you know, spitting distance from the summit. Although, I mean, I guess you have to spit like 275 feet. That's pretty far. But, um, but you know what I mean? Relatively speaking, we were so close. And, and he said, well, look, if you, I mean, the bottom line is if you weren't at the summit, you know, if you weren't at the very top, then you didn't climb it. It doesn't count unless you're at the top. So I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so then I said, um, you know, I'm just like, what do you do? Tough guy. And he said, I work for JP Morgan, you know, he worked for an investment bank. And, and so I said, you know, I wanted to like turn the tables on him. So I said, Oh, you work at JP Morgan. I said, no way. You're the, you're the CEO of JP Morgan, the, the CEO. And he said, wait, no, I'm not the CEO. I didn't say that. I, I work in fixed income trading. And I was like, well, hang on. Like, then you must not really work for JP Morgan then, because if you're not at the very top, and it doesn't count. He's like, wait a minute, that's totally different. I was like, whatever with you. I mean, but, it, you know, you get a lot of that. You're like, oh, if you weren't at the summit of the mountain, you didn't climb it. It doesn't count. Like, it was, a, you know, you failed to achieve your goal. And yes, we did fail to achieve our goal. But failure is one thing that happens to you at one point in time. Yeah. And I want to repeat that. Failure is one thing that happens to you at one point in time, it does not define you. It doesn't. Right. And I think you don't, you don't let failure define you just as you don't let success define you necessarily. Like I don't think standing on top of Mount Everest makes me any better than the people that had to turn around a couple hundred feet short of the mountain, uh, short of the mountaintop. It doesn't, it, I'm not any better than they are. It's just, things happen that are sometimes out of our control. And if they're learning the lessons along the way, you know, that makes them every bit as accomplished as the people that stand on the top. And I like to remind people that Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay, who, you, you know, people may know their names because they're the first people to ever summit Mount Everest back in 1953. There were dozens of climbers who tried and failed before those two made it to the summit. But those two... Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, they had the benefit of all the information from those previous climbers, right? They had all the data, all the research, because someone else had the guts to try it yeah. first. 
And those earlier climbers never became famous and never became household names. They didn't get the fame and the recognition that Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzin Norgay got. But if those guys hadn't had the guts to try it first, then I bet Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzin Norgay would never have made it. So my point is, like, when you're going to try really hard things uh, and really push yourself outside of your comfort zone, you're going to have to give yourself the freedom to fail and just come back from it better the next time around. And then think about this. You never know who's going to be following in your footsteps, who will go on to achieve really great things Mm -hmm. because of your past experience, even if you didn't have the outcome that you wanted at the time. Yeah, I listen, I just because she climbed Mount Everest doesn't make her better than anybody else. That's why she went ahead and skied, it, skied across the North Pole oh, right. just to make sure she <laughs> could just say, to put an exclamation point on it. Well, I'm not that much better no, than you. But but... Not, like when I think about challenges, you know what I think about is um like everyone out there like raising kids. I think raising kind, compassionate children is the most important thing you can do in life. I really do. Kind, compassionate children that will contribute to their communities. And look, you don't have to have your own, you know, children to be part of that. Like, we just have dogs. We don't have human kids. But you can be part of that by being a good friend, aunt, uncle, godparent, stepparent, grandparent, you know. Yeah. There's lots of friends. I mean, there's lots of ways to influence this generation of children growing up today. And I think we all have to have a part of that. And and I think doing that is so much more important than like climbing a mountain or skiing across Antarctica because that's stuff that, that really has impact. Yeah. I think when you, again, when I've seen you speak, um, you know, everybody can connect the dots. They all look at that and maybe they think I'm not going to climb Mount Everest, but your point is it isn't even about that. And again, you don't have to be the strongest and the fastest. It's just whatever it is that you want to attain, you, you put the one foot in front of the other, you respect the process. Right. And, you know, I'd love for you to share this, this other point, this other key tenant that you've made in your sessions before about, having the right safety, the right training, the right tools. And you sort of have jokingly said, you know, make sure that you don't ever drop your ice axe. Uh, tell yes. us, wh- wh- why do you say that? And, and what can people learn from that? So that's probably one of the, the number one thing that you have to remember when you're in the mountains. It's the number one thing I learned the first time I was on a mountain and ran into a group of other climbers and met like a pretty well-known guide and learning like whatever you do, don't drop your ice axe. So almost any other piece of gear that you have, you can kind of like MacGyver it if you (laughs) break it or you lose it. You can figure out a way to get by without it or you can borrow from somebody else. You just duct tape something, you know, the soles of your boots. I've had the soles of my boots come off and I duct tape them. I've broken pieces of equipment, you know, like on my harness, duct taped it. There's things you can repair. There's repairs you make out, you know, when you're out on the side of a mountain. But if you drop your ice axe, your ice axe is your your one piece of safety equipment that you cannot climb without. Because first of all, if people start to fall, if someone on your rope team falls, you do something. It's called self-arrest, which is where you dig your ice axe into the ice and it prevents your rope team from falling. Right. Everyone digs their ice axe in and that's how you secure people who are falling. If you happen to someone falls into a crevasse on your rope team, right, you all hit the ground and you dig your ice axe in and that is what's going to save you. If you drop your ice axe and you don't have it, you're you have nothing to rely on 
if anything goes wrong, if somebody should slip and fall, fall into a crevasse or something, or you need it to get up put something steep or to balance you. Your ice axe also helps keep you balanced as you're walking along a steep slope. If you lose that, you are completely Game screwed. Game over. And so we all like in our lives, we all have something that we have to rely on. It might not be a physical thing. It might be, you know, just part of, I know, you know, Brant, we've talked a lot about this. Um, I don't, you know, about your black sheet book that's coming up. I hope it didn't just ruin a surprise of no. anything. What? No. But You're doing know, something what? outside of me? Talk away, New York Times bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> this book, I love, well, I had a, I mean, I had a chance to read, get a, a preview of this book. And so I read it already and I loved it. And it's about your core values and things that are non-negotiable. Your things that help keep you centered in life. And if you stick to these values, you're going to be okay. And it's going to get you through the rough times. And that's kind of your your um figurative ice axe yeah, right your yeah. black sheep is like a black sheep your black sheep values are your is an ice axe to a climber right it's the thing you don't let nice. go of this you hold on to this and this is what is going to get you through the tough times and you cannot let go of it you have to have it with you and it reminds me like when i think about don't drop your ice axe. It's like know your black sheep values take yeah. care feed your black sheep yeah you're exactly like well, it's the same thing to me I gotta say two things right now. Number one, here we go. I am, I, I am beaming right now because that I really believe that you read the book. <laughs> number one, that's, I did. That's amazing. Uh, and number two, you're absolutely right in that there's a difference between things that are really important and non-negotiables, right? And so the the idea is if we treat everything like it's a non-negotiable, it's unbearable. We can't sustain that. And so you got to do the work to sort of separate out those things. And with that ice axe, it's a non-negotiable. There can be a bunch of other things on you that are really important, but they're not non-negotiables. And if you give them the same sort of attention that you give to the ice axe, you're actually hurting your opportunities or your chances that the ice axe is going to be safe and sound. And so right, you right. have, you have to separate those things and, and sort of give it its due where it is and focus on only those things. And you're, you're absolutely right that that's the case. And it's why I would guess most novice climbers um, don't, don't actually have the success that they want is because they're not prioritizing correctly. Right. Right. You have to prioritize. You're exactly right. Well, and that probably is a perfect setup for our thought, which I think is going to fit perfectly with what we've already, I mean, we started going down the path and talking about this already, but this is perfect. This quote from Tolstoy, Brant, what is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number two. This week, our thought that rocks is this. What Tolstoy said was this, the strongest of all warriors are these two, time and patience. And that to me was uh, never more evident than, than when I watched you do your talk that first time and having no idea what's at, sort of watching you sort of trace the steps of what it takes to climb and how it's, it's a two month process. And, and to yeah. know that without time and patience, you are never, you don't have a shot. You, if you, nope. <laughs> you have zero shot at this and knowing that if you're somebody who's just, again, this sort of, you know, I feel like in today's day and age, this hustle culture, it's, it's just all, we're going to go balls to the wall all the time. It's full force. You know, we're going to, we're just going to sprint and we're going to make it and we're going to get there first. And this is so 
opposite of that approach mm-hmm. to have yeah. the time and patience to really do it. And I think that that's, what was it like for you when you first start, sort of got into this, did you realize that it was this many steps or were you sort of like, what do you mean I have to go backwards? No, I knew it just from researching and just knowing that's how you climb a big mountain. But what I wasn't prepared for were the, like the psychological challenges of that because as you go higher on the mountain, you feel worse and worse and worse as you're gaining elevation, right? The higher the altitude, the more horrible you feel. You've got a banging altitude headache and you feel sick, sick to your stomach and you lose your appetite, but you have to keep eating. Otherwise, you'll run out of energy. And, and then when you come back down to base camp, Oh, so comfortable at the lower <laughs> elevation. And you have your own tent at base camp where you're sharing tent with other people as you go higher on the mountain. And you have a little foam pad under your sleeping bag in, at base camp, you know, because you can have the nicer things down at base camp because you don't have to carry it up. You're not worried about weight. You know, when you go up higher on the mountain, you don't, you can't take a lot of luxuries because it's that's shit's heavy, right? Yeah. You, don't, you can't carry it up. You have to save weight. So you have all the luxury things down at base camp, including, you know, big foam matches. You might even have a little camping pillow or something. And you just, you feel so comfortable down there and your headache goes away and your stomach, it goes away and the food is better and you can eat and everybody's around. You can have a little bit of a social life. And then it's so hard to think, Oh my God, I got to go back up there again. And when I go back up, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt and I'm going to feel terrible and it's just going to be a disaster. But you just know discomfort is temporary and discomfort is how you build resilience. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important, especially right now. Everybody needs resilience. Yeah. I, th- I think about um, maybe a little bit differently. I think about how critical time and patience is. And I, I would use the example of let's say you wanted to you know, define uh, a little bit better your body, right? You're interested in getting the, the six pack abs, right? So you buy a Bowflex like machine, <laughs> you know, you take the Bowflex machine, you put it in plain view, you know, you start with the foundation of, of low carb eating and this promise of a 14 minute workout that definitely, you know, that sounds enticing and, you know, just, just know that the results are only going to come because of time and patience. My point is, please, everybody, stop emailing me. Stop guilt posting me on Facebook. <laughs> time and patience are so important. No, I, I, I think, you know, we were just laughing about, I think, gratification, the way the world is. Everybody wants everything right now, right? They, they want to skip all the steps of the hard work to get to whatever the goal is. And, you know, I've seen people say things like, oh, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 or 35. Well, why don't you think about maybe starting your own business, let's say at 25, maybe you have, I'm going to make a number up a hundred clients by 30. And if you think about just doing those big, those are already big enough, you know, goals in life, but you probably are going to become the millionaire by doing that stuff instead of shooting right for the end result. And Brian, right, I've heard you talk right, about this right. all the time saying, don't, don't just go for whatever the ultimate result is, right? It's the whole process. And in your case, and I think in most people in life, a little bit of time and patience, but still being passionate and committed and engaged and authentic while you're doing it, you're probably going to attain the results or, or something even better than that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it really is. It's the idea. Uh, what I try to do when I coach, when I'm doing values coaching with people, trying to get them to discover their black sheep, I, I, I basically have this conversation to them about, I need them to remove their goals from outcomes. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to. I don't want them to say I'm going to be a millionaire yeah. by the time I'm 30. What I would much rather them say is I'm going to honor these five things, these five black sheep values every single day, which mm-hmm. is sort of the, what what else instead of originally of putting one foot in front of the other, right? It's not that you're going to reach the summit. It's not that you're going to achieve the goal. It's that you're committing to putting one foot in front of the other. And as long as you do that, your chances of reaching that goal or that summit yes. so much better, right? Yeah, and that's. Yes. I, but don't you feel like most of us just, we skip right by that and only focus on yes. the outcome? Yeah. Yes, I do. I do feel like that. Is that um, when, it, when you picked the other things? So, so most people go, and you know, Everest is my Everest, right? Yeah. And, and Allie jokes about that a lot, right? When she say, what, what is your Everest? She's like, it's, it's Everest. Everest. Yes. <laughs> um, but after you did that, how did you choose the other the other just crazy things that you've done? Um, well, I knew about, um, like I read about the seven summits. Yep. Um, so that was just always like something I read about. And there was a book called the seven summits that I read. And it wasn't like I set a goal to climb the seven summits because I climbed a ton of other mountains in between those. So it wasn't like, I just said, these are the seven mountains that I'm going to climb. But I ended up climbing the seven summits kind of in the process of climbing a bunch of other mountains. Mm. So it just kind of happened along the way. But when I was younger, uh, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. When I was younger, I would read these stories of the early Arctic and Antarctic explorers, the early mountaineers. So I'd read books and watch documentary films. I think because it was an escape from the extreme heat in the summer mm-hmm. in Arizona. Hmm. And so I read about these really cold places. And I was just intrigued by these adventure stories of these remote, cold environments. And I never actually thought I would go to any of those places because, um, long story short, but I was born with a hole in my heart. So I have had three heart surgeries now. But after my second heart surgery, this light bulb went on in my head. And I thought, well, if I want to know what it's like, to be Reinhold Messner, who's this famous Italian explorer, and uh, first guy to summit Everest without oxygen, too. Um, if I want to know what it's like to be Reinhold Messner and ski 600 miles across Antarctica, then I should go do it instead of just reading about it. If I want to know what it's like to be these mountaineers going to these remote mountain ranges, then I should go to the mountains instead of watching documentary films about them. And if I want to know what it's like, you know, to be these people and walk in their shoes and I should go do it. If these other guys can do it, why can't I do it? So that's kind of how I got started and, you know, started on smaller mountains and then would meet people along the way, along the route and just kind of learn from them and observe and befriend them and um, kind of look to them as mentors, people that could teach me a lot if I could just kind of climb in their tracks and learn from them. So, um, just found people that were better, a lot better than I was and faster than I was and tried to learn as much as I could from them just by observing them on the mountain and then, you know, hanging out with them at their camps. Cause sometimes I would go to these mountains by myself and then people kind of take pity on you cause they're with a group and they're like, Oh, are you here by yourself? Like come, come join us for dinner. And so I'd go over to their tent and have dinner with them and then end up being able to climb with them the rest of the time. And so that, um, you know, I feel very fortunate in that I met a lot of great people along the way that helped me tremendously. That's the difference, Jim, between 
Allison and, and at least yourself, which yes. is she had a hole in her heart and decided to climb the seven highest peaks. Right. You have a hangnail and won't get on the Bowflex. At all. And that's <laughs> truth. <laughs> Brant lays truth bombs that's every episode. Difference. And I'm stronger because of it. If you listen we to her, have. every time Allison gives us a little bit of some background, it it makes us fall madly in love with her even more. I know. She's you know, had three heart <laughs> surgeries and she's you. climbing every mountain there is. That's on why she's Queen Levine. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Allison, actually, the one thing, I mean, obviously, we've told everybody, you got to go, honestly, go read her whole bio in the show notes is awesome. But there's one thing we didn't talk about that I think is kind of cool. It's coming up, this documentary, since you were talking about documentaries that you're involved with, right? The, the uh, Glass Ceiling. Can you talk about what that is? Sure. Um, it is a documentary film. And thank you for mentioning this because I really do think it's such an inspiring story, but um, it's a documentary film about this woman named Pasang Lamu Sherpa. And she's someone that has inspired me for years and years and years. So she was the first female Sherpa to summit Mount Everest. And by the way, Sherpa is actually an ethnicity. They're an ethnic minority group in Nepal. People think Sherpa yep. means carrying things up a mountain, but it's an ethnic group. So there's Sherpas that are farmers and lawyers and accountants and you know every profession podcast host mm -hmm. and um this woman Pasang Lama Sherpa had this dream to climb Mount Everest this is in the late 80s early 90s but the government of Nepal would not allow female Sherpas to climb they would only let the men climb and it's crazy to think about it because they would allow women from all these foreign countries come climb but they wouldn't let local women climb the Sherpas were uh, they were an ethnic and religious minority they're Buddhist in a Hindu culture they're very were very much the like you know low on the caste system so there was a lot of discrimination and Pasang Lamu Sherpa couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't even speak the national language because she never went to school. But she found the courage to fight the government of Nepal for equal rights for all women in Nepal. And she um, took on that battle for all women over there. She was finally granted access to the mountain. Awesome. She tried three times initially to summit Mount Everest and um, was thwarted by bad weather or climbing politics. Um, she, she had a an expedition leader, this Frenchman named Marc Batard, who wouldn't, she got all the way to the high camp and he wouldn't let her try for the summit. Um, so she just felt like more discrimination. And so she finally organized her own expedition in 1993. It was the very first Nepali-led expedition, male or female. It was Pasang and five male Sherpas. And she finally summited. It was her, her fourth attempt, 1993. And she was the first Nepali woman and first female Sherpa to stand on the summit. But unfortunately, she died on the way down. Uh, she oh. did not survive the descent. And she'd become a hero to the people of Nepal. She had her, her funeral looked like Princess Diana's funeral, mm, like the whole wow. country out in the streets carrying posters of her, mourning her death, sobbing. And she's super famous in Nepal. She's even on their postage stamp, but no one outside of the country knows her story. And I think it's such an important story to tell because it really does prove that regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic background, anyone can change a country if they just have courage. Yeah. She changed an entire country and courage was the only thing she had going for her. Everything else was working against her. She was a female Sherpa, you know, couldn't read, couldn't write. 
you know, women were supposed to stay home, take care of the men. They didn't do things like climb mountains or fight the government, things like that. So um, we're working on a documentary about her. And we've got a trailer online if people want to check it out. It's at um, theglassceilingmovie.com, theglassceilingmovie.com. So you can um, check out, yeah, we took like a two and a half minute trailer. We will definitely put that link in there. What, what's your involvement? Are you, You're producing it, right? Yeah, I'm the executive producer. So cool. One more thing in her belt that we <laughs> <Yeah>. all have. <laughs> Allison, I've got the name of your next book. I think it should be called Shit's Heavy. Um, <laughs> I, I actually love, I would wear a t-shirt that says Shit's Heavy all day, every day, because it's just the truth. It's just the truth. Um, how can people that want to uh, just stay in touch, learn a little bit more about you and what you're doing, um, what's the best way for them to stay involved with you? Oh, gosh. Thanks for asking. So um, you can follow me on social media. I'm, I'll admit I'm not a big social media person. I mostly just like to post pictures of my dog. <laughs> but it's uh, Levine underscore Allison, Levine underscore Allison for Twitter and Instagram. And then I have a website, which is just AllisonLevine.com. So there's more sort of stories and photos and things on the website. If anyone wants to learn more, they can go there. And, and if you guys, I know that we're limited in time for this podcast, but if people have questions, please reach out to me either through my website or on social media. And I'm happy to answer any questions that anybody has. Or go to shitsheavy.com. That's right. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you don't own that already, I will be disappointed. I love you. that. Shits with a Z. I love <laughs> just, that. You, know. you just ruined it. Shits with a Z. <laughs> that is, I mean, I think we I'm should sure do a line of backpacks. Oh, my gosh. Why not? That's, that's and brilliant. And shits heavy on it. That is actually a brilliant idea. I you just bought it on GoDaddy. Trademark that. Right <laughs> yeah, no, I'll and, sell it to well, you. How about how about luggage? We could do luggage too, yes. just like travel bags. Uh, we should just get paid for ideas. That's I think it. that's how we make. Right? Our, that's how we'll make thoughts that rock. That's it. We're a retail store now. That's right. That's thoughts what we that I mean, pay us for our thoughts. heavy has to come from that rock i really am gonna go look immediately after the show to see if i can get that well listen we can't we cannot thank you enough honestly we we joked about this it took a while to get you here you know because uh you're just so busy number one you've got so many things going on but to take a moment to talk through not just your story and your life but to impact and influence other people like you said just taking one step in front of the other and you know everybody's got hopefully some hopes and dreams and goals and your proof that whatever you put your mind to it, you can make it happen. And here you are now talking about it with, you know, with documentaries and, uh, and influencing other people. So we we're so thrilled that you had a moment to be on thoughts at rock. I'm so thrilled to be on thoughts at rock. And I love you guys for doing this podcast. I think you've had so many interesting guests. So I feel really honored to be included in that lineup. And, and I know that people are learning so much from, you know, the material you're putting out there. So keep up the great work. We we have to tell you right now, Brant just pulled up while while we shitsheavy.com is available. Yes, we're buying oh. it now. Eleven dollars nine nine cents. Shitsheavy.com. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's not. That's this is a great idea. You'll make more money off of that than anything else. Wouldn't it be amazing that like two years from now, when we're all multi 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 millionaires off of Shits Heavy, that it came from this interview, this episode, right? Yeah. Now, right. All right. We're no, how funny would it be to have like suitcases and backpacks? It's just such shit's heavy. All right, we're buying it. We're cutting you in. That's yes. what we're going to do. You will definitely. Oh, yeah, be we're going. We'll be part. Third owner. That's it. Love it. 
All right, Rockstar, you're the bomb. Thank you so much for spending time with us. All right, us. I love you guys so much. It was so much fun to talk to you. We should do this more often. Yes. Let's do it. We'll you make bet. it happen. Awesome. All right, be good. <laughs> Rock on, Alex. Okay, take care. Okay, bye. Hey, rock stars! thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Yeah, and if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we both used to be exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers. But now it's just me. Brant is on his own. So to hire Brant, good luck getting a hold of him. For me or both of us, contact us directly at thoughtsthatrock.com. Until next time, rock on! Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.